on this episode of Awaken with the Spirits. Our society tend to marginalize people that have this kind of experience. You're seeing consciousness. You're seeing consciousness take form and present itself to your consciousness. So it's not because it's a spirit that it's evil, okay? We have to get that out of our head. Hello and welcome to the Awaken with the Spirits podcast. I'm Eric, and I'm joined here by Jacqueline. Hello, everyone. So this podcast exists to look at cases of the paranormal from a spiritual and shamanic perspective. We look at cases, go over the accounts, and then analyze them and comment on them based on our experience as shamanic practitioners and esoteric workers. We get to the root of what might have actually been going on in these cases, and also give advice on what you can do if you're ever in a similar situation. This is a production of the Mondanac Center. At the Mondanac Center, we teach techniques and skills for connecting with the spirit world and bringing its beneficial influence into your life. So with that said, let's jump straight in. The accounts that we're going over in this podcast are coming from multiple sources, one of them being yourghoststory.com, and the other being the Fairy Survey, which is a really interesting study done from some great folks who went around looking into modern cases of fairy contact and nature spirit contact. So with that said, let's dive straight in. Yay! <laughs> So our first case takes place in England in the 1950s. This is from the Ferry Survey. And the experiencer writes, My parents were taking us all for a walk, five children. I was running ahead, and I saw the fairy elf. I stopped. It took a moment before I could speak. Then I shouted for my mother to come see. Everyone came, but by the time they got to me, it had disappeared. Although most laughed at me, my mother believed me, as there was no reason not to. It was about eight to ten inches tall, with a lovely face, dressed in greens, although I did not see any wings. It was definitely a fairy, not a ghost, as I have had experience with ghosts, and it was entirely different. You asked about schooling in the survey, and although I did not go to university, I did attend college and have secretarial skills. I love learning, so please do not think that I am silly. I am happy to speak of my experience, and have always told people the truth about this sighting. I would also be very happy to explain my ghost experiences. They were very important to my life, and no matter what is said, I will always believe. The first thing I want to say about this story is that it really illustrates what our society does to experiencers. Mm -hmm. The way she closes out her story, talking about, you know, I'm not silly. I love learning. I'm a rational person, is what she's essentially saying. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, uh, I mean, it actually breaks my heart that if you've had a weird experience, this is the type of apologetics that you have to go into in order to in order to feel like you'll be taken seriously. I think that a lot of people uh, repress that uh, 
it's really problematic because it's almost like it's our society controlling the narrative, saying these things aren't real and you are silly and uneducated if you don't believe in it. Yeah, it's uh, it's. Um, I think they want to put that that you have to be uneducated or naive to believe in that kind of thing. It's almost like you're from another another time. So it's as if it's an archaic way of of seeing the world, and you you don't understand the rational scientific way that we have now that is available to you. It's almost like how can you deny the science here? It's something in your mind, illusion that you had, but it's not true. And it's sad because even though the scientific method says so much about actually doing the experiments, actually seeing the outcomes, actually doing things for yourself in order to validate your theories, at the same time, this materialist mindset is throwing firsthand experience out the window. As though, well, you can't trust in first-hand accounts. It, it's throwing eyewitness accounts out the window. And frankly, we live in a society in which we take eyewitness accounts seriously in so many other scenarios. Our criminal justice system gains convictions routinely based on eyewitness testimony. So if we can't trust it for the paranormal... <laughs> Maybe we shouldn't trust it for the criminal justice system either. The materialist society has to start asking what the value of eyewitness accounts is. I suppose that they, they see it more valuable because it's eyewitness account of material things. Exactly. Anything that is not material is not taken into account. They come at it from the perspective that, hey, we can trust eyewitness testimony, but if you're talking about weird stuff... Well, then your your testimony is already invalid. And so yeah. we can't trust you. The things that they cannot explain. Mm -hmm. And so they're not coming at it scientifically. They're coming at it from the standpoint of, well, we already know this is not real. And so if mm -hmm. you're talking about it, you're mistaken or silly or something else is going oh, on. Yeah. Or a liar. Mm -hmm. And uh, You're an attention seeker. <laughs> and... and, and Ultimately, this is, I want to get back to the story and getting back to the story. This is what I find so amazing about the mother in this story, mm -hmm. that she trusts the daughter. Yeah. The daughter has had a strange experience and the mother trusts her. She has, as, as it says in the story, her mother had no reason not to believe her daughter. First off, that is amazing. Because it sets the daughter up for actually trusting her own experience throughout the rest of her life. Yeah. Right. She's not going to have this childhood trauma of not being believed at a young age. Yeah. And I think our culture could have a lot more of that going in it. Believe your senses. If you have had an experience, believe your firsthand experience. This is, this is the stuff that Robert Anton Wilson was talking about in the 60s, you know. Trust your own nervous system first before believing anything that anyone else is saying. And also pay attention to with who you're sharing your experiences. That's unfortunate, but it is something that you have to pay attention. Not everyone is open to this concept. And it is okay. I mean, they, they are just somewhere else in their path, and it's fine, and or they are not. 
educated to to trust in in their own experience they have been taught that it's just not rational therefore it doesn't count they're brainwashed by the system and they'll mm-hmm. lash out at you based on that you know a lot of these people who say you know science first and you know i love science and all this and post all the memes about it mm-hmm. and yet honestly don't come at reality from a scientific perspective from a, a from a perspective based on experience rather they come at science from a dogmatic view where they have what they've read and then they simply repeat that and this is something that the paranormal comes up against all the time you know what though i think things are changing i think now with with the internet with the way that people can share these experiences people are starting to listen to eyewitness accounts more and that's that's a wonderful thing that's a wonderful thing i agree i think that the fact that people can share their experiences and know that other are there as well and having these experiences make you realize that you are not alone that you are not a fool to believe in these things because others are experiencing it not in the same way or sometimes it's very similar as well but at least you know you're not alone Yeah, when you dig deep, if you're open to the paranormal and you start talking to your friends over a beer, you're going to hear stories. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the times, even when they're you know repressed about it, they'll say, you know, I don't know what was going on with this story, but this really weird thing happened to me and I can't make heads or tails of it. Mm-hmm. I really want to, to push home the point, you are not alone. If you have had these experiences, you are not alone. And a big reason that we're putting out the podcast here and big reason of why we're doing what we're doing with the center is to give a place to people where they can be comfortable with what they've experienced and what they are experiencing mm-hmm. so that they have a place to talk so that they have a place to learn how to engage with the experiences they're having you're not alone yeah no it, and it's a place to to share as well Uh, your experiences and by sharing with others they also can provide support to you some tips and and that's the wonderful thing with the internet that mm-hmm. we're we're finding with the Mondanax center is that it's allowing people who have these experiences who are sensitive to connect with other people who are sensitive mm-hmm. and and actually talk about these things and not feel like they're so weird because you know if you're in your your family and if you're in your your town and you're the only one experiencing this you can feel weird and it is wonderful to connect with other people and and so just remember you're not alone and these experiences are common yes they are very much more common than what what we think and it's it's bringing us to the the next story We will talk about it, but she is from a, a a family that is sensitive, but it took it takes her a lot still to believe in these things. She tried to rational rationalize her most of her experiences into something mundane that is not supernatural. It's almost like you've had these experiences and then you have to somehow integrate them into the rest of your life. Uh, you're almost. Uh, apologizing to society for having these experiences and trying to say, well, you know, maybe it was just this or maybe it was just that. It's like, I'm not a fool. Or like, don't burn me. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, that that is an interesting point, is that 400 years ago, 
if you're having these experiences routinely, they burned you. I think it's a cultural feel, fear that we have. Like, So today they won't burn you, but you could experience social rejection. You could be marginalized by society for having these experiences. And that's that's a big reason why you got to be careful who you tell about this stuff. But at the same time, know that you're not alone. Just find the right people to share this with. So jumping into the story then. So this experiencer is in Ireland. It sounds like she's currently in her 20s. And she's talking about her childhood. She says, I've always seen fairies since birth. They are a part of my life. As a child, I was told by my great-grandmother and my grandmother that I was a child of the Fae, that we have fairy in our blood and ancestry. I've seen, heard, and felt the presence of fairies always. As a child, it happened often. As an adult, less often, but still reoccurring. I have experienced them everywhere that I have lived or traveled. Most recently, I experienced a fairy sighting and presence while visiting family and friends in Ireland. We rented a cottage. They were all around, and in the cottage and the area. My mother and aunt experienced them as well. Sometimes they were a mixture of shimmering, multicolored light or shadow. Other times they melded into the natural surroundings, almost camouflaged. And other times they were as plain as you or I, in human form, but not quite human. Whenever I'm in the presence of the fae folk, I hear wind chime-like music mixed with nature sounds. Other times, utter, hollow silence. I can tell the difference between fairies and other supernatural presences. They feel differently, and my brain acknowledges them as such. I understand that the rational concept of fairies and other supernatural beings is hard to understand or believe in. I just always have. I'm open to them because I was taught and felt instinctually from birth to know and believe that they are as real as you or I. They know the people who are open to them. They choose who to make themselves present to. Honestly, they can care less if you believe in them or not. It's a very interesting account. The one thing that I would say is that last sentence that she says, honestly, they can care less if people believe in them or not. I don't think they mind if you don't believe in them, but I think that they deeply value if you do believe in them and if you're interacting with them. They, they deeply value and cherish that connection, that interaction with the human realm. I, I agree with you. I think that they do value when you interact. And the fact that she said that uh, they know the people who are open to them is true as well. They can sense when you are open to the possibility that they exist. And therefore, you will encounter them probably more often than someone that doesn't believe in them. Because even if they show themselves to someone that don't believe in them and will not... Why would they bother expending their energy to show themselves to someone who's not going to believe the experience or discount the experience? I think they would uh, if you do something uh, that might piss them off. Mm. Just like uh, just like in the, the first uh, podcast we had, 
with their grandfather, let's say didn't believe in it, they would show up and show their how um, they are not happy about what you did. But you could always try to rationalize what it is, right? He was thinking it was a fox uh, for a long time and it, it, before he decided to surrender and put his pride aside and, and go and say sorry to the fairies, right? So I think they will show up if, they, if you really piss them off. They also will show up for initiation. Yeah, that's true. To awaken you. Mm-hmm. To their world. To their world and to those realities. But you still have to have a little space inside of you, at least, for them to exist. There's a part of you inside of you who say, hey, who knows? Who knows if it's true or not? And then they show up and they say, look, we are real. We are a real deal here. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Another thing that I found interesting is that she said... I can tell the difference between the fairies and other supernatural presence. And in her first case as well, uh, the, the, the first one in England, uh, the lady, she said, it was a, definitely a fairy and not a ghost, as I have had experience with ghosts and it was entirely different. Mm. So they both are saying the same thing here, that the fairies doesn't feel like a ghost. In both cases, we have people who are spiritually sensitive and they are noticing a clear distinction in how fae and, and spirits or ghosts manifest. That's, that's very interesting. That's very interesting. In my own experience, I can say it's the same too. Uh, they don't go in details in how different they feel. Uh, on my end, for, for the experience I have, I would say that the ghost would feel like someone watching you like there's a presence around you that you can feel and they are watching the fairies you can sense something that is similar but not exactly the same it's more like a instead of a human presence it would feel like a ethereal presence like an angel is coming and talk to you you will feel the presence but it's not exactly the same so with a ghost it's almost like there is someone in the room, a person in yeah. the room, that you just can't see. Yeah. I imagine that's much creepier. <laughs> well, I mean, you can see it if you have the sight for it. Right. But uh, the, the first feeling that you have, you feel like you're someone is looking at you. It feels like a hidden person. Yeah. And with the Fae, it feels like there is more of a spiritual presence in the room. Would you say that? I would say that, and it's difficult to describe. Um, I think it's something you have to experience. To mm. to, I don't think there's a word. I don't think there's a word for that. It's really a feeling. It's a, it's the the way you sense them, really. Yeah, it's probably why they didn't go into details. It's mm. it's, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard to describe. <laughs> well, it makes sense. I mean, how can you describe colors and and uh, or sound? Right. Yeah. It's a, a lot of things are, are difficult to describe if you haven't it's, experienced it's just, it. It's just red is red, and you're right. Um. <laughs> uh, so returning to the story, I found it very interesting that these beings, the fae, were showing up to this family at their cottage in various forms as shimmering lights or shadows. Mm -hmm. uh, how do they put it? As a mixture of shimmering multicolored light or shadow. 
Other times they melded into the natural surroundings, almost camouflaged. That's very interesting. It's, it's almost like you're seeing a hole in reality. It's almost like you're seeing through to the liminal realm. Yeah. To the, that mixing point between you know, spirit and matter, between the ethereal and between the physical. And what, is, what I like also about, about our description uh, of the fairies here is that it's not the, um, there's just not one type of fairies, as we mentioned before. It's just, it, can, it will appear in many forms. So it's not just the cliche that we have in our head of the little fairy, all cute in a flower dress with little wings. It can be many different things and have many different behaviors. It is an entire ecology. Ultimately, I think it comes down to you're not seeing a physical thing. Yeah. Right? You're not seeing, like if it's a little fairy in a flower dress, you're not seeing little miniature humans that live and and reproduce in the forest and, you know, have little fairy babies that are also physical out there and it's it's not this is not cryptozoology this is not a lost race of humans here yeah you're seeing consciousness you're seeing consciousness take form and present itself to your consciousness you're seeing you're seeing consciousness embodied in the landscape that is taking on a form as it then makes itself known to you you're seeing the costume that this consciousness likes to show itself as that it identifies with yes they can they can put different costumes and also they can present themselves differently from a person to another depending on the expectation they have as well mm-hmm. in fact the form that they take is more a form of communication yeah if i'm the fae if i'm that consciousness I'm taking on a certain symbol in order to convey who and what I am to you, right? If I take on the form of a little pixie in a flower dress, I'm telling you I'm not a threat. I'm a nature spirit who just enjoys being out here in nature and playing. If I take on the form of... A Sasquatch? (laughs) Maybe I'm telling you, get out of the area. Yeah. (laughs) You know, there's something here that you shouldn't be around, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, I could be telling you many things. These are all forms of communication. Yeah. All forms of communication. So one thing that I found very interesting, too, in that uh, experience that she's sharing is that she experienced the fairies all over the world because she is sensitive so it's not just in Ireland or England. You can uh, find fairies everywhere. Yeah, there's nowhere in the world where there's not some type of fairy lore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a, a worldwide phenomenon. It's a worldwide experience. It's a universal experience. And yet it is doubted by people nowadays. Eh, you know what? It's doubted by Western culture in the last hundred years. Yeah. Which, you know what? We're a minority, ultimately. Mm-hmm. You know, if you go to more traditional cultures, they this is wisdom and knowledge contained within the culture. And so Western culture of the last 100, 200 years is the is the aberration. It is the strange one that is turning its back on millennia of human experience and traditional knowledge. 
if you actually look at that, if you actually look at the older traditions and the older knowledge, these experiences are everywhere. Yes, I agree with you. And this is at the base of shamanic tradition that exists for under thousands of years. Working with those spirits, connecting with them. When you're living near the land, close to the land, you're connecting with the spirits of that land. You're seeing them. You're interacting with them. It's a survival instinct to connect with them, to improve your chances of hunting, to improve your chances of fishing. Totally. To help the crops grow. Yep, there's a lot of uh, different reasons why you want to um, connect a, connect with them. I think it's been what I'm interested in recently is how it can uh, affect on your health in general too. Being connected to that energetic side of reality. Yeah, there is something already just to be close to nature and to connect with. A lot of people are talking about forest bathing and um, and uh, just being close to nature. I think that you can sense the divine in nature and this is what really nurtures your soul deep within. Yeah, it's very interesting that they, like this forest bathing concept, this idea that going out into nature and there's lots of studies on this. That oh, yeah. Going out into nature, spending just a little time in nature has positive results for your mental health and your physical health. And, of course, our society, our materialist society, always puts it down to, well, it's a psychological effect. You're free of the overwhelm of the city and yeah. you're, you're, you know, your mind can reset. Well, it's also possible that there's other stuff going on there, that being in the forest connects you with things that you don't have a connection with as easily in the city. I would say so, uh, that it's maybe not as easy to connect with the fairies in the cities, uh, except if you have plants around you or a park near, nearby. It, it attracts a different kind of consciousness. It, it attracts a different kind of consciousness. It's another rhythm as well. And there's a part of you that ancient knows that you belong to in the nature and that this realm that you're living in is missing something uh, your heart is longing for something more profound and grounded and just making space for you to receive the gift of the nature compared to when you live in the city you you have more chance to be distracted by human activities. It can be just restaurant, any uh, festivals, or of course like TV and that kind of thing as well that might distract you from just being here now and be receptive to what the nature has to offer. Exactly. I mean, the cities are alive in their own way. Right? Yes. It has their ghosts. It has their spirits. Yeah. There's a lot of embodied consciousness and, and disembodied consciousness in a city. But there's that more natural kind of consciousness out there in nature that you can connect with. And obviously it has very good effects on the human soul, the human psyche. 
I think that you you can be very receptive to nature and city as well. If you make place for it in your apartment and say you have some plant or uh, you you can have a mini fountain, you know, with the rocks and things like that. If you put it, if you put a space for it, if you allow it to be, but if you do not make the space, uh, you can um, and you don't put yourself into a receptive. Uh, state then it's not as easy because you can be easily distracted in the city comparing if you go and you live in a little village there's not much going on so you tend to be more receptive and the other thing I would say to compare city versus countryside if you live more around the countryside is that you can be close and living in the countryside as well if you if all of your time you are just watching tv and and um let's say you go into nature but you are on your on your uh, atv it's not the same experience and you're still not grounded around what is around you and you're not receptive to what can be divine so you cannot be grounded and receptive to the fairies and spirit of the land a lot of it is making that space for that experience even in the cities if you are if you're taking care of a lot of plants if you create that fountain and if you are intentionally creating it as a space for spirit you're going to attract spirit into your apartment, into your life, and then you can start having the experience of it. In the same way, if you are living in the countryside and you're going out into nature, but you're on your phone the whole time or listening to music and all this while out in nature, you're not being receptive. You really have to be in that receptive state to really connect. Yes. Well, I think that was a long tangent that we went on, but yeah. <laughs> I think we're ready for the uh, for the next uh, account. Yes. So this one has more the appearance of a traditional ghost story. It's uh, it's quite an interesting one. Yeah, it is the story of a uh, a woman with two children. Nothing very spooky, just an interesting uh, an interesting encounter. I like it when it's just interesting and not spooky because it tells you a lot about what might be happening and why the interaction might be happening mm-hmm. so t- so to begin she writes it's a sunday night i'm laying on the sofa watching a late night film i fall asleep i have a 10 year old who sleeps like the dead and a two-year-old who will wake up in the middle of the night to come and find me sleeping on the sofa He comes in, and we fall asleep side by side. I wake up at around 5 a.m. I use the bathroom, make a coffee, go into my bedroom, and lay on the bed to check my phone. About 30 minutes later, my two-year-old wakes up and enters my bedroom. He hands something to me. I take it, and I realize that it's my three stack rings that I wear on my fourth finger on my right hand. I'm baffled. I look at my hand. There is an indentation of where they live, where she wears them, as I never take them off. Plus, it's very difficult, as they are tight to remove without lotion or soap. I'm shocked and ask him where he found them. He replies, on the sofa. But he's so sleepy 
that by the time I put him into bed, he drifts back off to sleep. But I am left in shock, and I know I didn't remove them. And neither did my two-year-old. So how did they come off? I'm thinking something took it off, but what? I live in an old apartment block that has been there since the 1930s. I tend to hear things, but put it down to the building being old, or floorboards, etc. But this I can't ignore. This is a, a very interesting case, and I think the first thing to touch on is, so she's sleeping on the couch, and these three rings on her fourth finger come off, right? And they are not easy to, to, to take off. And if you've ever tried to remove a ring that is tough to take off, I mean, that's a process. And you will, you will wake up. <laughs> yeah. If anyone's trying to take a ring off of you, uh, you're going to wake up. Right, especially a difficult ring. And, I mean, if it's your two years old that is the only one that can take it off, we know that they are not strong first. It's two, two years old baby, right? And it's clumsy. I mean, and you you will feel it. Yeah, this isn't, this isn't Skyrim. Your two-year-old isn't going into stealth mode. <laughs> yeah, no. You know, and, and, and even if it's the 10-year-old, like, what, did he bring out soap or lotion and... and remove the rings from his mother's hand just to leave them on the couch so the two-year-olds could find them. Uh, the only other possibility is that they fell off on their own. And, uh, well, the only material possibility mm -hmm. is that they fell off on their own. And, you know, sure, your, your body does tend to change in the amount of inflammation you have in your fingers um, throughout the day so that what's tight sometimes can be loose later. But if you're in the habit of, you have to use lotion to take it off. I mean, if you have the mark on your fingers, it is too, it's, it's way too tight for it to fall. Yeah. Yeah. It's not going to fall off even if you, you know, lose a bit of water weight. No. So the only thing that I can think from a more paranormal perspective is that this is what's called an apport, in which something basically dematerializes from one one place and materializes elsewhere and this happens all the time in poltergeist cases and a lot of other hauntings it's rare certainly rare but it's it's uh in the realm of the paranormal it's not unheard of in fact i've even heard it in relation to sasquatch encounters you know leaving offerings out for sasquatch oh, really? and suddenly weird stuff appears there or this kind of stuff interesting so very strange things can happen, and you know it's quite possible that uh, that that is what happened. Yeah, I'd be very interested to know what was happening in her life at the time, what message might have been communicated to her through this situation. Yes, and by who as well? Okay, we see it. It can be a ghost. Uh, so there's a lot of possibilities here. It can be a ghost living there before her. It can be a ghost of a relative. It can be something else as well. Like it's very, uh, we have a situation where it's it's left unclear because she tends to hear things, but she doesn't do anything about it. She kind of just put it aside and don't, don't want to really tap into that. It's kind of just ignore it. So when you're not in touch with the spirit world and you have this strange encounter, you will tell the story, but then what, right? You cannot understand the symbolism or the message that is trying to get to you. 
so she she doesn't have the resource and the tool to um, understand a message that is conveyed to her so part of the wisdom of the spirit world that could help her probably in in her life in fact this could have been a bit of an initiation and that Mm -hmm. it affected her enough to go online and post her story yeah and so i imagine that that also got her online starting to research this stuff if she's been hearing weird stuff in her apartment building that that could have been the beginnings of the spirit world saying hey you know we're here and this could be the event where it's like okay waking you up now we are here right because i i honestly do get the feeling that a lot of paranormal activity is actually a part of the life journey it's a part of waking you up and reminding you that you're a spiritual being that you're a spiritual being in a physical reality and so a lot of what happens with the paranormal is an initiation to remind you of what you are. I think it makes a lot of sense. And that with that initiation, then she can go further. With that initiation, she can then after that find tools to understand the spirits and how they try to guide her. And it's, it's curious that she mentions that her apartment building dates back to the 1930s a lot of people try to figure out okay well this house has been here since you know this date so has anyone died here has anyone has anything happened when in fact it doesn't matter so much right the land can be haunted long before the building you know if you're if you're living in a house or or an apartment that is haunted it's not so much that you know, something has happened in that building. It can be, but it doesn't require something to have happened in that building. Something could have happened on the land, or you could be dealing with the the guardian spirit of that land, the genius loci. Every piece of land has a spirit guarding it, working with it, overseeing the nature on that land, overseeing the interactions between the residents of that land. It's a guardian spirit. Well, when you build a house somewhere, you're building it in the area that that guardian spirit, that genius loci, is active. And that spirit has been there for millennia. So you can interact with it because it's overseeing your home now. <laughs> and that, uh, that can actually be a very comforting fact. That you're never truly cut off from nature, even when you're living in your apartment building. Yeah, that is true. It can be a mix of, of different things. It depends on how you feel it. Um, in her story she doesn't describe it and probably because she has just experiences here and there she is maybe not able to make the difference between when she's sensing let's say a spirit of the land compared to a human ghost but when it's possible and you are able to make the difference then you can take action in different ways Uh, so let's say if in the case it was an initiation from the spirits of the land it would be very different from an initiation from or just a trick from a ghost in the same house you would not deal with this situation in the same way Uh, with the spirit of the land you you could like try to uh, open more for a discussion and uh, offering and um, having kind of a divine interaction with it and feel that you're protected then when you know that it's a ghost from someone in the 30s that used to live in your apartment then 
it's not about offering then more like uh how do you live here do you, are you comfortable do you need do you feel like it's time for you to go in in a better place it's it's just more like a, i would call it like a psychopomp work where you you ask the spirit like are you ready to live or you you feel comfortable here how you can live happily with this um ghost in your house and with those two realities too it becomes very important that you know you watch some of these paranormal investigators and ghost hunter shows and everything yeah. and one of the first things they tend to do is say i cast you out they they like to to boss around the spirits yeah. and okay maybe you can boss around a ghost that died there in the 1930s but if it's a spirit of the land that's <laughs> causing problems with you Good and luck. you're trying to cast him out you're gonna have a bad day <laughs> yeah right it's not gonna be effective you're being incredibly disrespectful and and frankly you're just going to cause a collapse in the energy of that area you know can you imagine going into a forest and casting out the spirit of the land from that forest you're going to cause just just terrible things just yeah. terrible things to, to so, encounter so it's not because it's it's a spirit that it's evil okay we have to get that out of our head it's not or maleficent it doesn't mean that it wants something bad for you it can just be a, something as simple as an initiation for you to consider that the spirit realm is something real. And, I mean, it can also just be a spirit saying hi. It can be... I mean, certainly predatory spirits do exist. Yeah. But there are a lot of spirits who come from nice people as well. The ghosts of humans are going to be like humans. You're going to have some bad apples, and you're going to be have a lot of genuinely good people as well. Yes. And when it comes to bigger spirits like spirits of the land you're talking about very benevolent beings who you want to to work with so i think that pretty much concludes it i think we've given the the listeners lots of interesting ideas to think about yeah so if we wrap up this uh, main idea of the podcast it would be that our society tend to marginalize people that have this kind of experience and it, it they don't in fact, practice a scientific approach to these eyewitness experience of the paranormal. Then the other thing I would say that we discuss is you have to be open to the experience and it doesn't matter if you're in the city or in the nature. The, it, it's really like how you stand, how, how you are open wherever you are and they can be. you can reach the fairies and spirit of the land wherever you are in the world they are everywhere and the last thing is that it is possible to feel the difference between a ghost and a fairy of the land and when you are able to do so then adjust your interaction with the spirit accordingly to what you can sense that wraps it up well so until next time we hope that you found this very illuminating our next podcast will be released on the new moon of June. We are releasing these podcasts on the new moon and the full moon of every month. So we'll see you on the new moon. See you on the new moon. Take care, everyone. À la prochaine.